Welcome to Texas A&M Week on the Savage Pads Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Battle, and uh, you got to forgive me because I'm a little under the weather and my voice sounds different than it normally does. Um, so that's why, in case you're wondering, but uh, I'm going to try to try to make it here. I feel like I can barely breathe. So here we go. Former UGA and current Detroit Lions tight end Isaac Nada is joining us this week to discuss Jacob Eason and Matthew Stafford, Georgia's use of the tight end position, his decision to bleach his hair blonde in 2017, and much, much more. So much to talk about with Isaac. You're going to want to hear that one. And in this week's Savage Pads Savagery segment, Corey Amick rejoins us for a victory roast of Gus Malzahn's Auburn Tigers. And in the show's final segment, Caleb Gwynn returns to look back over Georgia's win on the Plains and look ahead to another matchup against a ranked SEC West opponent as the Dogs take on Texas A&M this Saturday. We've got a great show coming up, but before we kick things off, I want to tell you all how you can get the full Athens experience while visiting town for a Georgia game. So many people come into town for a game and leave without ever truly experiencing Athens. But Graduate Athens provides more than just a place to sleep between driving and watching the game. It's the essential hotel for the full Athens experience. Located on the edge of downtown Athens, Graduate Athens embraces the historic roots and southern charm that make Athens special. Each of its boutique hotel rooms showcase a distinct southern style with a splash of Georgia pine and a hint of Athens history. And speaking of Athens history, Graduate Athens has made a home in the famed Foundry Building, where blacksmiths originally crafted the iconic UGA arch. This building has since been reimagined as a multi-tiered music venue, where hotel guests enjoy free entry to every show Tuesday through Saturday. Spend your Athens evenings enjoying live performances, on-tap craft beers, and locally sourced award-winning cuisine at the Foundry. And after a restful stay in one of Graduate Athens' boutique hotel rooms, and perhaps some R&R Graduate Athens' in-house spa, enjoy some of Athens' best brews at Ironworks Coffee to fuel up for a great game day. Oh, and for those of you visiting Athens when the dogs play out of town at Georgia Tech on November 30th, come to Graduate Athens' Rivalry Week watch party at the Foundry, and you can enjoy a full day of college football, $15 per person all-you-can-eat wings, and $6 Bud Light pitchers. Learn more about Graduate Athens and their upcoming watch party when you like them on Facebook or follow them on Instagram at Graduate Athens, and make sure to take advantage of all Athens has to offer by booking your next stay at Graduate Athens. They helped us bring this episode to you, so stay tuned. Practice every day. Man, oh man. Mono ain't mono. He, he definitely six hour reminds me and myself as close as we uh, have right now to rope on. When we score, I honestly did not know where I was for about five seconds. Early on, you could see with Jake, you know, just like with Fran talking to him. Maybe one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in the country. And we got to keep feeding the running back. I, I don't think we've yet to see 
the tight ends. I think Georgia does a great job of bringing pressure on third down. Turn around two weeks later in the SEC championship, we look like a completely different team, and we made them look like a completely different team. I mean, it's hard to get emotional thinking about it. And it was my job to kind of get outside the corner. And uh, as soon as I let it go, I knew it was good. From that point on, I kind of began the trust of Eric Murray as my quarterback. The team was just special. I was famous. He was onside. Everybody respects the specs. That's what every Georgia fan should hinge their hopes on. Alabama and Georgia are the best two teams in the country. I feel like we are the true running back team. I have great confidence that we're going to see the personification of Georgia football. Welcome to the Savage Pads podcast. Isaac Nada is on the line. Isaac, how are you? Hey, Doug. Man, I'm doing all right. How's it going? It is going well. Uh, how's How's Detroit treating you over there? Oh, it's treating me good, man. I love it here. It's, uh, it's a cool little town. Um, yeah, obviously we've got a great team and we got great teammates. And, uh-huh. Um, you know, so I'm having a great time. Yeah. Do you, do you say Detroit or Detroit? Detroit. I don't even know if that's right, man. It's probably the, probably the Southern in me. I'm probably saying it wrong. Yeah. I just, I didn't know if, if you'd kind of picked up the correct way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I still don't know. But um, I, I was curious, have you gotten to know Matthew Stafford at all while, while being part of the Lions team? Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, He's awesome, man. He's he's an incredible leader, um, awesome friend and, and teammate. Um, you know, he's just a guy that I've tried to learn from as much as I can since I've been here. Sure. Um, you know, he's such a he's such a professional at what he does, and um, you know, so I just try to learn as much as I can from him. Yeah. Well, um, it's it's kind of cool to see you guys connect as two five star recruits separated by several years, but still ending up in the same place at the same time. But speaking of the five-star recruit topic, tight ends don't often get that ranking, and that's something that that you earned, and that's something that two tight ends in this recruiting class earned, including six foot eight, two hundred sixty-pound high school senior Darnell Washington. And he's a guy that's also strongly considering playing at Georgia, just like you were at that point in your journey. To give listeners an idea of what it would take for Georgia to land Washington, can you explain what led you to choose Georgia over pretty much every major program in the country? Yeah. Um, you know, well, for me, I wanted to be close to home, you know, which was big for me. Mm-hmm. I wanted, you know, my family to, to be able to see me play, at, you know, with an easy, easy travel day. So, um, you know, Georgia was right in my backyard, which was perfect. You know, it was a pro-style system. I believe in Coach Smart and what he you know, had going on in his vision and, you know, I knew we were going to do great things there. So, you know, it's one of those things where I knew the offense can feature a tight end. It's a, it's an offense that, you know, definitely can produce good tight ends. And Mm -hmm. so that was something I jumped all over and I was excited and have zero regrets. Georgia is an incredible university, incredible place. And we did some things around there that we haven't done in a long time. And Mm -hmm. I think Georgia from here on out is just going to be continually be a, you know, forced to be reckoned with in the East and in the SEC and in the country. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm a recruit, why would I not look at Georgia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your relationship with Jacob Eason seemed to be a factor and you come to Georgia as well. How did you handle his departure from Athens in, in 2018 after pretty much making plans to play with him for three years? Yeah. I mean, it was tough. I mean, it was, it was tough on me. Um, you know, because he's, you know, such a good friend of mine and we mm-hmm. had such a great chemistry. You know, I was my freshman year was my freshman all American year. And uh, you know, we were really clicking and we knew that, you know, just another off season of work and a 
another um, year to get better. Like mm-hmm. we were going to, you know, take it to, to the next height. So it was definitely tough, man. And, you know, I, it was tough to see a guy like that who, you know, worked hard and, and had all that talent and, you know, was a good friend of mine have to get, or not have to, but, you know, moved away. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was definitely tough, but there's a reason for everything. He's doing great in Washington right mm-hmm. now. So, yeah. um, you know, it's cool to be a fan and watch now. It is, yeah. I, f- I feel like all of Georgia fans are still pulling for Jacob Eason, uh, trying to catch as many Washington games as possible. But uh, what, what's your relationship with Jacob looked like since he's taken his talents up there? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's he the way he handled everything was just incredible. So professional mm-hmm. the way he went about things, and I think he left everybody that saw the situation. Um, I think everybody was proud of him, and Absolutely. I was too. You know, so he's a he's a super talent. He's one of those guys that, you know, has all the tools to, to be successful and he can make all the throws and he can make the throws that other guys can't, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's done a great job in the games that I've seen. Um, yeah, I, just like every football player, I know he, he wishes he could have his plays back, but you know, he's a, he's a great player, man. I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy for him and excited for him. You know, we still talk quite a bit. Um, okay. and we, you know, we talk, we talk all the time, really. Um, yeah, just, you know, hey, it's here and there, what you, what you got going on, you know, small talk. But um, that's pretty much how guys talk these days anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but as we mentioned before, you guys were both five-star recruits who were really in high demand uh, prior to attending Georgia. And I'm sure it's quite the adjustment when you get to campus and all of a sudden nobody really cares about your high school ranking. Can you describe what it's like to arrive on campus and begin competing with a team full of talented guys for a limited number of snaps? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's certainly one of those things where you get very humbled, mm-hmm. you know, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you realize that there's a whole different intensity. There's a whole new like, sense of, like when you go against a, a 50-year senior that's, 22, 23 years old, and they've been working out for five years, you know, in a college weight room, like that definitely strikes you pretty quick. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm sure. um, it's a, it's a whole new, it's a whole new world that you walk into. But, you know, one of the things I did was I graduated early. So I was able to get a, a spring, a spring ball in, um, right. you know, winter workouts, all of that. So I felt like I had to put up, you know, from the other guys that were coming in and, you know, I think the biggest thing, even more than physically, though, is the mental aspect of it. Just because you have so many things going on with school and practice, and all of a sudden now you got 20 coverages to learn and 50 plays to learn by the next meeting. So just a whole step up from from what you what you're used to in high school. So yeah, definitely, definitely uh, an experience. Yeah, and you mentioned graduating early. You also mentioned enrolling early and uh, being one of the early enrollees in that program, was it always a three-year plan for you? I mean, when they were recruiting you, were they talking about academics and all the rest being a, a three-year deal, kind of always planning to move on to the NFL at that point? Yeah, no, I mean, the the goal and the dream has always been to make it to the league for me. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> from as long as I can remember dream, and, you know, that's that's been my goal. So Yeah, me but too. For me, <laughs> uh, for me, it was more of a – um, but it, it wasn't that I was going to leave in three years or four years. I was just going to, I was going to play out how I was going to play out. And, you know, I just, when all this happened, 
uh, you know, I just felt like that was the right thing to do at the time based off the information that I had got from people and, and other things. And, you know, I made a decision without looking back. So, you know, that's just kind of how I went about things. But no, I mean, I could have stayed four years if I wanted to or, uh, or whatnot. So, sure. you know, I didn't really think about that going into school, but I okay. did when I graduated early, I did put myself on a track to, to graduate faster than expected. So, yeah. But if I was playing my senior year, I could do it on like a just a couple classes or one class. You know what I mean? Right. So it'd yeah. be a lighter load. Yeah, you'd be cruising. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. could be more focused on ball and you know, right. and whatnot. But right. Well, um, I'm sure coming in there, any skilled player with those aspirations doesn't see the ball as often as they foresaw as a high schooler when when they were always the star. How were you able to put the team first and let the personal successes come in the process rather than handling it the other way around? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things is when the team has success, you know, everybody has success. So mm-hmm. for me it was, especially when we did pound the rock and, you know, wasn't getting the ball as much, it was one of those things where, you know, I had to choose to not get disappointed or upset you know what i mean i had to had to do it best for the team and and, you know that was that was blocking at the time and that was the year that we made it all the way to the national championship and Mm -hmm. you know i had to play a different role and a lot of people had to play a different role but you know in the end a lot of guys got drafted you know a lot of wins did a lot of not many people get to say that they played in the national championship so you know we did a lot of things that you know were awesome so I mean, it was just one of those one of those deals. Yeah, and, and you mentioned how sometimes that meant a lot of blocking for you guys. Georgia fans are pretty well known to criticize this coaching staff's underuse of the tight end position in the passing game, and they were like that with Jeb. They they were like that with you, and they've been that way with Charlie Warner as well. Did the sentiment in the tight end room reflect that of the fans in your experience? Were guys frustrated with the number of targets that position saw? Yeah, I mean, I. I think if you're a competitor and, um, you know, you want to have an impact on the team, like, and you know that you can and you have in the past and mm-hmm. there's a body of work behind it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely frustrating, mm-hmm. you know, cause you want to, you want to be able to help out and you want to be able to make plays and, and do what you do best. But, um, at the end of the day, <laughs> like I said, it was all, it's, it's, it's all about the team, you know, mm-hmm. and helping the team win. So if that was, you know, what they had going on at the time, then, you know, that's the way we went about it. But, I think all both the tight ends that we have now, all three of the tight ends we have now at Georgia, those all those guys can catch the ball and, and make plays in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think they should be featured more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the tight end position is a great safety blanket for a quarterback and, and you know, short down situations or check downs, you know, whatever. Um, I think that they're always an option, you know what I mean? So, yeah, absolutely. I think they definitely get the rock more. Okay, <laughs> but I'm always gonna I'm always gonna say that. Yeah, yeah, you'd be throwing to him every play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, did you feel that dyeing your hair blonde might attract more targets your way? <laughs> um, so that was more of a. I'm kind of spontaneous, so when I okay. bleached my hair, um, that was just kind of just wanted to do it. I just thought about it one day, and um, I knew it wasn't gonna make my mom happy at all. But yeah. Uh, just went ahead, just went ahead and did it. Okay, okay. Well, after dying it, uh, Georgia had their greatest season in over thirty years. So maybe that's something I don't know. Maybe there's a correlation there. 
but um, well, I really did. I really did I think it was. Uh, I really did think it was good luck charm. However, that was also the year where I had very low production. So That's like true. We were winning, you know, but but the production was down. So yeah. I was like, I was like, what do I do it again next year, or you know, or what? Yeah. And I, you know, I went back to normal. And so I had you put yourself, again, you put yourself so. first. Yeah, I still don't. I still don't know. I, I still don't know, man. I think it was. What I could think have it was been blonde hair? Yeah, what could have been? Well, maybe now that you're not at Georgia, you could go back to that, and uh, maybe we'll get another SEC championship playoff run here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I just, you guys might just see me pretty soon with yeah. blonde hair again. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of of SEC championship, this Georgia team's gonna likely face LSU in a few weeks for a shot at another SEC title. And you played with many of the players on this Georgia team. You played against many of the players on this LSU team. This is my last question for you, Isaac. What do you think it's going to take for this Georgia team to upset number one LSU in that SEC championship game? Um, well, I think it's first starts with taking care of the football. I think if they don't turn it over, um, they're going to be in good shape. Mm-hmm. Defense has been getting takeaways all year as well, stopping the run. Um, as long as they keep that up, you know, LSU's got good backs. they got a good old line. Um, got a good quarterback who can throw it and lead the offense. So it's going to be a tough challenge, but I think we match up well with them. I obviously think we're the better team. And I obviously want to be a little cocky here and say we're going to get it up. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think these guys got that hunger to, to take it all the way. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm excited for them. I think they're going to get the win. But assuming that everything rolls as planned, you know, I think – I think they'll be ready to roll. Yeah, well, uh, we certainly hope that is the case. And, uh, man, we we hope you're ready to roll up there. We're looking forward to seeing you uh, catch some balls from Matt Stafford one of these days and have your time up in the NFL. Maybe maybe you and Jacob Eason will reunite here next year, I guess, if he comes out. So, yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, we appreciate you taking a moment out of your busy schedule to come on the show, and we wish you the absolute best in your NFL career. Hey, man, I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. I'll be a Corey Amick now joins the show to discuss the Gus bus following Auburn's loss to Georgia. Corey, welcome back, man. Hey, Doug, how you doing? I am all right, uh, but Georgia winning the game helped. I'm a little under the weather at the moment, as you might be able to tell from my voice. Um, but I would have traded it. I said before the game, I will trade my health for a Georgia win here, and that's what happened. So, Corey, after Malzahn's 28-7 loss to UGA in the 2017 SEC Championship game, Gus Malzahn immediately received a seven-year contract extension. My question for you is, how long of an extension should we expect following a much closer 21-14 loss on Saturday? I would say 70 years. And my reasoning... Auburn, you know, being in the Bible Belt, I think that they're going to go for the only biblical answer, which would be seven times 70. So I think it's it's got to be 70 more years, dude. And, you know, he'll just never leave. Wait, okay. Yeah, I'm a little confused on the math there. But regardless, in that contract last time, Auburn put themselves in a position where they're going to owe Malzahn around 27 mil if uh, if the school fires him this offseason. Mm-hmm. Paul Feinbaum recently called on Malzahn to voluntarily leave Auburn, and that's essentially asking a man to leave nearly 30 mil 
on the table. From a selfish standpoint, getting fired would be a much better option for old Gus. Corey, what did you see Saturday that supports uh, the conspiracy theory that I'm now coming up with of Gus Malzahn trying to get fired? Well, you know, I do appreciate Paul Feinbaum going out of his way to ask another man to leave, you know, $30 million on the table. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Paul Feinbaum will be willing to step away from blabbering on the phone all day with you know, Tuscaloosa's finest in order to, to get away from some of the money that he has coming in. But I think Gus really solidified this conspiracy theory by trying to establish the run game against our defense. Mm-hmm. So, Especially in the second half. Yeah. So, I mean, the narrative was, you know, Bo Nix threw 50 passes, but Gus also called 34 runs, fully knowing that they would not work. And mm-hmm. I think their leading rusher was Bo Nix, who had 40-something yards, and their longest run by a running back was nine yards. Yikes. So with how their offense um, yeah, I mean with how their offense was having some success against us with those quick slants like early in the first and second quarter, I just cannot determine why Gus would have not, like why he wouldn't have just thrown every single down and had, you know, Bo Nix break a record for selling eighty passes in a game other than he he was trying to get himself fired. So um, yeah. I think that's the only explanation. Yeah, my uh, my support for this theory comes from the old timeout before the half when Georgia mm. needed to get the ball down the field, only had two timeouts, and out of nowhere there's a timeout called, um, and we're like, what is this? And it was Gus Malzahn bailing us out with a timeout. And then the next play, Georgia got a big chunk play, and then we ended up scoring on that possession before the half that really might have been the difference in the game, that drive right there. Um, putting us up two touchdowns before getting the ball back to start the second half. It reminded me of in Madden. My brother and I used to play Madden together, (laughs) and there would be a point where one team would be beating the other team, and it's like normally the person would be like, all right, let's just quit or start over or whatever. But instead of doing that, one of us would say, like let's say my team's losing by like four touchdowns and there's like seven minutes left, I would say, all right, you win. But let's try to make it fun. Let's just make this game like as crazy as we can. And one of us would stop playing defense. And one of the things we would do, though, is call timeout when the other team ran out of timeouts to stop the clock, try to help them out, try to get <laughs> the craziest game we can manipulate as possible. And to me, Gus Malzahn calling timeout there was a, a total Madden move uh, right out of my playbook when I'm trying to help the other team. So shout out to uh, Gus for plagiarizing me there. But we did appreciate it as Georgia fans. And because of I that, feel like, I feel like if Gus did play Madden, he would for sure play it on like a Wii controller. Like he'd be one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with Madden for Gus is they don't have any high school plays. It's all like professional football plays. Um, mm. And and so that doesn't really fit into his scheme. But Gus is now 0-3 against Georgia since his infamous we beat the dog crap out of him comments in 2017. Corey, in your opinion, uh, what what has happened in those three matchups? You know, that was a narrative for the past few years, and I think it's been fun getting to to kind of rub that, you know, rub the the dog crap into Gus's face, so to speak. Metaphorically, but I do think that Kirby's post game Kirby's post game quote from uh, this past week will probably be the narrative for the foreseeable future. And I told him how about them dogs? That's what I told him. 
you know, how about those dogs, man? That's all you can say. Yeah, how, how about them dogs? And uh, it's been especially surprising to see Gus fall to 0-3 in that stretch, um, especially because, as announcers have often reminded us throughout the season, Auburn has Anthony Schwartz. Did, did you know he's really fast, Corey? Oh, yeah. I think – I'm pretty sure he's, like, really fast, and I think he ran track in high school. I think he runs track at Auburn. Um, I could be wrong, but I believe that has been hammered into my head 1,700 times this season. So I believe that's true, and we've heard about it all year. The one time it was actually a factor on Saturday was when Schwartz was a bit too fast on the onside kick attempt. Corey, with Anthony Schwartz having superhuman speed, how can Auburn coaches train him to use it in a way that doesn't break the rules? All right, so this reminds me of a movie that really had an impact on me as a, a child growing up. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, in the many years following, awaiting a sequel, you know, I always thought back to this movie for the lessons that it taught. But so in The Incredibles, you know, Great Mr. Thought. Incredible shows us the loving, caring father he is by being absolutely, you know, astounded for his son, Dash, when Dash purposely finishes in second place in his, you know, let's say Alabama high school track meet. And now if you knew anything about Dash, he's not a normal boy. He's kind of like Anthony Schwartz because he's also really fast. Right. Uh, So I don't know if Anthony Schwartz had like a barren childhood without seeing movies like The Incredibles, or if the Auburn Boosters just haven't paid for Disney Plus for all their players yet. But either way, he's, he's just too fast. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. I, I remember Dash in that race at the end of The Incredibles where his dad's in the crowd saying, slow down, slow down, slow down. Okay, speed up, speed up. And he's like going back and forth between being way in front of everybody and being right there. And I think that's what um, Schwartz needed on that onside kick attempt. Just kind of act like you're human for a minute and try to run a little bit slower to where you're just faster than everybody else, but not so much faster that you get a penalty that that could have certainly helped them out on Saturday. But Gus is well known for using speedsters like Schwartz. And I mean, I remember Michaela back in the day um, in that offensive scheme, which took college football by storm, like, like a, a, a decade ago. Um, but it seems as though every DC in America now has figured it out. What wrinkles do you think, Corey, as a Georgia fan, do you encourage Malzahn to add to to continue to try to confuse defenses? Well, you touched on it earlier with, you know, more trick plays, but not the trick plays that we've been seeing with, you know, one or two reverses or a wide receiver running back throwing a pass. None of that Bush League stuff. I would like to see some, like, deep country Iowa high school football, backyard football, trick plays that involve at least six players touching the ball. Oh. Or or this just came to mind, but I'd like for him to use Anthony Schwartz as the center because the speed at which he probably snaps the ball would reduce the amount of time it would take for the ball to get to Bo Nix, possibly reducing the chance of him being sacked on a crucial fourth down late in the game when they might have a chance to make a comeback. So maybe they maybe they just mix up their personnel types and, and run a trick play with a really, really fast center. Yeah, I I could see that working. A few of the trickerations that really were enjoyable to watch a disciplined defense play against were uh, the one where Bo Nix 
looks to the sideline as if he's getting the play call, and then they snap the ball really fast, and then he throws it incomplete. That one was cool. The double reverse yeah. was cool. The Wildcat losing like 15 yards on fourth and one um, was really fun too. It was like a positive offensive play for us on the next play had already happened by the time the play was over. So really enjoying the trickerations and hoping to see them get more and more creative as as uh, this rivalry continues in Gus Malzahn's eternal contract at Auburn. But it felt as though Auburn um, – you know, can, could never have enough double reverses or running back passes on Saturday in a game where the slant was working essentially every time. Of course, this led to a loss to Georgia, not enough trick plays. But in Gus Malzahn's defense, he really hasn't done any worse against Georgia than the coaches who have preceded him. Auburn has two wins against Georgia in their last 15 matchups, and that's the same number of wins that Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech have had in their last 15 matchups against the Dogs. As a Georgia fan, are you at all concerned that Auburn's similarities to Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech are going to hurt Georgia's strength of schedule as a legitimate playoff contender in future seasons? So, yes, I do think our strength of schedule will drop having Auburn on there. But to be honest, you know, looking ahead at this next week's matchup, uh, I worry more about how Texas A&M will consistently have quality losses that allow them to be ranked in the top 25, even though they have lost four times now. Right. So with Auburn, you know, slowly becoming more and more relevant with Gus leading the, the bus down that path, I do worry for Texas A&M's ability to stay in the top 25 because, you know, for a team that pretty much is solely ranked on their losses, yes, it's not going to look good when they have, you know, their fourth, SEC West lost to Auburn, but it's like, well, actually, Auburn's not that good anymore. And, you know, with Arkansas firing Chad Morris, you never know what could happen in the West. So right. I think it's actually worse news for Texas A&M. Yeah, it does concern me that it could – I mean, they're only 24. They're, they're one Auburn loss away from being out of the top 25, um, which would hurt our strength of schedule because it would be one less top 25 win for us, hopefully, if we beat them. Um, Lord willing. So, yeah, I see what you're saying there. And I like what you're saying about them being ranked purely on their losses. I mean, going into the season, Auburn fans were already complaining about how Alabama and Georgia had better shots at the playoff because they had easier schedules than Auburn. And I like that Auburn has racked up probably the most quality losses in the country and will likely continue to do so um, in two weeks when they play Alabama. But this team has, I guess they beat Oregon. And other than that, they've pretty much lost every meaningful game and will blame their lack of being in the playoff ever on the fact that they actually have to play decent teams because if they didn't play anybody, they would probably beat all the teams they played. So Auburn's a team to keep an eye on in the next like 20 years as Gus Malzahn continues his legacy there. And we will uh, continue to enjoy that rivalry. But Corey, as always, appreciate you coming on and kind of carrying the team on your back while I suffer with whatever illness I have over here. So I uh, appreciate it, Corey. Yeah, good dog. Caleb Gwynn now rejoins the show after watching the game with me on Saturday. Caleb, great to have you back. Hey, so good to be back. Go dogs. What an encouraging week. Oh, man. I was nervous. I mean, you know, we were both very nervous um, about the Auburn game. 
And especially when, when they pulled it within a possession, that's what I was afraid of because we've seen things happen in that stadium that don't normally happen in college football. And uh, it felt like we might be in for a, uh, a bad surprise, but the dogs pulled it out. Trayvon Walker with the sack of the game. And uh, Caleb, I want to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly from Georgia Auburn. Why, why don't we start off with defense? Since we mentioned Trayvon Walker there, what else stood out to you on defense? Um, I was really impressed with uh, DB's play. Um, yeah. DJ Daniel, how he handled his position opposite side of Stokes. Um, um, he's really coming to his own and really started to play well. Really, I was just impressed with all of the freshmen. Yeah. Um, we, we could really get a good look at um, our future there because that's a big game to go in Jordan here. Um, as a freshman, and really, I think a lot of players really stepped into their own in this game in particular. So, yeah, that was really exciting. Yeah, a couple guys that stood out, and I like that you mentioned DJ Daniel because that that one pass breakup was absolutely crucial for Georgia. Um, I believe Daniel had six tackles in this one. Yeah, he had six tackles. Uh, one was a tackle for a loss, and of course, that one major pass breakup, and that could have been the difference in the game if Auburn had scored on that drive, but other guys that kind of broke out in this one, obviously we talked about Trayvon Walker and he's one that's been getting more and more minutes. Other freshmen on defense, Tyreek Stevenson didn't even play against Florida. There was some speculation that he was frustrated. People were getting concerned about, you know, is this a guy that's going to transfer in the off season? And he's been huge for us these last two weeks. Seems like he's so talented that they got to keep him on the field and he had a big play on that last drive, so he's one that's that's standing out. Nolan Smith's another guy uh, that's a freshman. And, of course, N'Kobe Dean getting more and more playing time, especially on third downs. So on the on the defensive side of the ball, it was kind of like a breakout game for multiple young guys who are going to be here for you know another two years at least. And some of those guys look like potential first-rounders, Stevenson, Walker, Smith, Dean, you know, we're all recruited highly and are kind of on that trajectory. So great to see them break out against Auburn. While we're talking about defense, who do you have as your Savage Pats player of the week this week, Caleb? Yeah, this was tough because I think the defense as a whole played really well. It's really hard to pinpoint one person. Um, But honestly, when I go down to picking the play that really changed the trajectory of the game, I think it had to have been DJ Daniels pass breakup. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know it wasn't like a down to the wire last play of the game, kind of a savage pads play, but I do think that play really changed the game. I mean, that was, that that's an NFL type. Yeah, um, absolutely. Breakup. I was very impressed with that. So maybe unpopular pick in the grand scheme of things, but I think that play was, is worth the savage pads player of the week for me yeah and especially in a game where Eric Stokes kind of had uncharacteristically rough outing out there and obviously he was paired up with a better receiver most of the time but if DJ Daniel had been a liability in this one like that second corner normally is it would have been a different ball game and he stepped up in a way where now I'm kind of like I feel like I'm more comfortable with him than Tyson Campbell just because of the experience he's gotten this year while Campbell's been out so it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but I do think he was deserving of that. Um, other guys, you know, Tay Crowder's been playing lights out. Monty Rice led the team in tackles. And Richard LeCount still playing his best ball of his career. Uh, now, really, it seems like these last four weeks, he is just flying to the ball. He's making decisions real quickly. 
Um, kind of like how Roquan used to, but from the safety position. And even when he's not making the tackle, he's forcing guys in. Um, he's disrupting plays, and he's doing it in the passing game as well in coverage. So Richard LeCount's another guy I kind of had on my list there as, as someone I thought you might mention. But I do think DJ Daniel is uh, absolutely deserving of that one. One last thing on defense I want to mention is the uh, the turnover battle. We got Jermaine Johnson stripping Bo Nix in another play like that DJ Daniel play that really seemed to transform the game and get momentum going back in Georgia's direction and really deflate not just the Auburn team, but that stadium. And as we know, Jordan Hare is a really rough environment where momentum is huge. So I think that Jermaine Johnson play um, and you know us just winning the turnover battle overall was huge for the dogs. And that takes me to the offensive side of the ball. No turnovers. That was one of our keys. And uh, we also saw some freshmen break out. We had uh, Blaylock with the long touchdown. Pickens contributed. He had the one catch. He was blocking well. Kept his composure, you know, as best as he could. And Kyrus Jackson's a guy that that stood out who many forget is a redshirt freshman, I believe. One thing I was really encouraged by on offense was the downfield shots that we took. That one to Blaylock at the beginning, it felt like Mike Bobo was our OC. You know, it's like, oh, we're throwing the ball downfield now. So, Caleb, what did you see that you liked on offense? Yeah, I was. I agree with you. I, I really enjoyed the play calling. I think we were a little aggressive and just switching things up. Um, overall, I think we could really see the the power that our O line has. Yeah, um, we really handled Derek Brown really well. I mean, he he got back there a few times and busted some plays up. Sure, um, but that's going to happen for for an NFL D tackle. Um, yeah, first round. But I think we handled him really well and. Um, I really feel confident going into the in stretch of the season with our offensive line. I, really, I can truly, you know, see that our offensive line is one of the best in the country after watching that game. Um, so I was really impressed with that. And, and to kind of pair with that, the running game, I thought we were able to be successful, obviously not busting huge plays, but we were chopping it away and, and we're able to open up some passing plays yeah. because of the running game. Um, so I think we did a great job in the running game and offensive line. Yeah. I think the outside runs that we've been doing in recent weeks, that, that little pitch play I really like that we've been doing to Swift and just give him the ball in space a little bit, letting our line use their athleticism a little bit has, has helped us open up the running game as a whole. We saw that on Saturday. But like you said, offensive line play has been lights out, and it's not just the ones. I mean, the depth on this OL we've talked about all year long, but you got a guy like Jamari Sawyer coming in. you got a guy like Ben Cleveland coming in. And really just picking up where the other guys left off, you know, against a elite defensive line with Marlon Davidson and, of course, Derek Brown, limiting the number of plays they're going to make. Of course, they're going to get theirs, but they made not enough to, to get the win. And uh, Derek Brown's finishing his career at Auburn 1-4 and four against Georgia um, with the one win coming right before that SEC championship loss, which essentially negated that win. So... This line is taking care of business against Auburn. And that takes me to our Smash Mouth All-Star of the Week. Caleb, who who are you giving this award to this time? This is another tough one. Um, my initial thought was to give it to Blaylock just because of the, the big playability, the, the mm. ability to get downfield and uh, really bust the, the offense open. Um, and really, I think that play set the tone for the game, uh, yeah. made Auburn – 
a little cautious about the passing game, whereas, you know, in games past, teams necessarily weren't too concerned with the downfield passing. Um, so I yeah. think I'd like to give it to him because he's a highly touted five-star wide receiver, um, and he, he definitely showed it this past week. Yeah, he, he was huge, and he's another guy that has seen the field more and more as the season's gone on and, and who feels like he's – becoming uh, a bigger part of this offense and rightfully so so you know I have him in the mix there I personally would give it to Andrew Thomas although he did give up one sack to Marlon Davidson which you know had something to do with Jake Fromm holding the ball for a while as well but I feel like we take Andrew Thomas for granted like this guy is going to be a top five pick in my opinion he's the second highest graded tackle in all of college football this season and out there, I mean, there was one play where he blocked three players on one play, kept them from making the tackle, just hustling and uh, working against elite players like Marlon Davidson, Derek Brown all game long, keeping Jake Fromm relatively clean in the pocket and ultimately giving our offense a chance to succeed. Man, Sam Pittman's done a wonderful job with this offensive line and while there's rumors about him going to Arkansas or, or becoming a head coach somewhere, would love to see him in Athens pretty much forever. One more thing uh, in good I want to mention is uh, special teams, and this is where we'll give our little special team shout-out award. Caleb, who's that one going to this week? Yeah, we talked about it um, before, or last podcast, rather, about field position, um, how that was such a huge part in this game we both agreed on, and Kamara really came through. He was a 67-yard punt or something like that. Yeah. Really huge. Um, set, set the tone for the game, um, really pinning Auburn back to their end zone, and it was just uh, it was just evident yeah. that he really kind of stepped into what everybody was talking about. He's got the foot, and, and he did it. So, yeah, I'm going to give that to him. Yeah, hats off to Kirby for uh, staying patient with Jake Camarda after a disappointing start to the season. But he was firm that that was our best punter, and – Jake proved it on Saturday with over 50 yards per punt, four punts inside the 20-yard line, and like you mentioned, Caleb, that long of 67. Huge for Georgia on Saturday in a low-scoring game like we predicted, and I want to give a special shout-out to Caleb for uh, mentioning ahead of the game how important that would be. Looking back on it, it certainly was a major part in Georgia winning this game. And now that we've talked about all of the good things we saw, Caleb. What would you put in those bad and ugly categories from Saturday's game against Auburn? Yeah, it was it was real aggravating to see um, that slant working so well, um, play after play. It seems yeah. like that's the only thing that could keep going. Seems like we could, you know, drawn up some adjustments to get that fixed. Um, that's something we'll have to look at, you know, in the future, the next few games. Um, but yeah, that that seems a little easy for them seeing that slant. Sure. And then uh, probably the fourth, the fourth quarter where we kind of laid back on defense, which you can't really blame coaches for wanting to do that, getting to some zone stuff um, just to be conservative with the game. I feel like we could have put that game away, but it is Jordan Heron, it is Auburn stuff happens and sure usually ends up that way. So would have liked to see that game be put away 28, nothing or something like that. Yes. Um, but ended up the other way. So I, I would, you know, I'll put those things in the bad and ugly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There's a part of me that's like, oh, man, we could have beat them 28 nothing, and we really could have and probably should have. But also going into this one, it was a game where 
I would have taken any form of W against Auburn at Jordan here. Yeah. Gus Malzahn had never in his career lost a game coming out of a bye week, so that was a first. Georgia and Jake Fromm and Kirby Smart never won a game at, at Jordan here together, you know, as a pair there. So huge win for the dogs. Absolutely huge win. I can't get too picky. The things that I hope they address in the film room and in practice this week are the offense as a whole, the non-scoring drives. We essentially had less than a yard per play on several drives, which is really rough. And that's what led to Jake Camarda having to have such a big game with 11 punts for the dogs. There were some stupid penalties. Another thing that aggravates me is Matt Landers getting more targets than George Pickens, who to me has proven more to this point. Um, and I'd like to see GP get more of those. So that, that's just a personal preference thing. But I think there's a lot of dog fans that, that are wondering why um, fives get more targets than one in, in some of these games, especially after the game one had last week against Missouri. And it was a bummer to finally give up a rushing touchdown to Bo Nix. But uh, at, least, mm. at least we won the game and uh, lost our little record, but that kind of takes some pressure off at the same time. The one ugly thing I will say is not something that was ugly, but it was almost ugly, and that was the fourth down play. Auburn ran the running back to the flats, had Bo Nix rolling out, and the dude was wide open. I was like, how do we not have that covered? That could have been really, really bad. I mean, that player... would have had a first down without a doubt and could have had even more than that and set them up for a game-tying touchdown. So very fortunate there, just like we were on uh, one of those last plays against Notre Dame, that the quarterback messed up. But uh, that's not going to happen against Joe Burrow for LSU, and so they've got to clean that up and be prepared for those kind of sets. That wraps up the good, the bad, and the ugly, Caleb. I want to move forward into our weekly pick-six segment which is actually going to be like a pick three because uh, this week is not the best week of college football. There's not very many good games. And I don't want to waste our listeners' time with us talking about lousy games. So we're talking about the three best games and then the Georgia game. Starting with, this isn't one of the best games, but it's a fun one to pick because both teams are so bad. NC State at Georgia Tech. Both teams are in the bottom of their division in the ACC. NC State is 4-6. and six. Tech is 2-8. and eight. Caleb, what's your pick? Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest on this. I haven't watched either of these teams play. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go with NC State. I do not have any reasoning behind that other than, you know, don't really like to see Georgia Tech succeed. So <laughs> there's my reasoning. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Yeah, it's kind of funny with Tech because like, I feel like Tech fans probably watched at least half of the Georgia games, and I'm like you. I have not watched or thought of them one time this season until now. And uh, just doing this for the podcast, but I'm actually going to go with tech. Um, I can just see them having that, that big third win of the season before the Georgia game that gives them a little bit of hope that (laughs) (laughs) they can pull the upset. So yeah, I'm going with tech here. Next game, number nine, Penn state at number two, Ohio state. Now this is the biggest game of the week in college football. Justin Fields, playing at home against his first top 10, legit top 10 opponent of the season, at least. I don't know. I guess Wisconsin was out of the top 10 when they played, and Nebraska's terrible. So Ohio State might get tested uh, against Penn State. I don't know. Maybe Penn State upsets him. Caleb, what do you think? 
Yeah, I think after watching Ohio State, you know, the past few weeks, I just don't see um, anybody in the in the rest of their schedule beating them right now and just how they're playing. I think they really got Justin Fields going, and their defense is legit. They got a lot of talent on defense. Yeah, I, I don't see Penn State beating Ohio State. Um, okay. I, I don't think Ohio State is the best team in the country. Um, and we can talk about that a little you know, later in another podcast, but that I yeah. think Ohio State will win this one. Okay. Yeah, that is uh, interesting because I do think Ohio State's the best team in the country at the moment. And uh, I also think we're, it's all setting up for Georgia, Ohio State playoff or national championship game, which would happen, you know, from versus Fields 2.0. But yeah, I'm going with Ohio State. To me, as much credit as Justin Fields gets on the offensive side of the ball. I feel like they have a good enough defense where even if field struggles, their defense is, is I'm pretty sure they're number one in total defense in the country right now. So they're, they've been playing lights out just like Georgia has and uh, playing at home against Penn State, who lost to Minnesota not too long ago. Got to stick with the Buckeyes. Next game, Texas at number 13, Baylor. Baylor blew a 28-3 lead. So Baylor has joined the 28-3 club. And Texas lost to Iowa State to fall to six and four on the season. Major disappointment after uh, Sam Ellinger said Texas is back following the Sugar Bowl last year when they whooped us. I guess they got a chance to make that claim again if they beat <laughs> number 13 Baylor. I don't know. Um, Caleb, what do you think about this one? Baylor playing at home. Yeah, what a, what a shocking season for Texas. I thought they were, in the beginning of the season, I thought they were going to be, you know, contenders for the playoff. I mean, um, they lost by seven and to then, LSU. Yeah, I mean, going going into the beginning of the season, and we all thought they were going to be one of those teams mentioned in the top four. But right um, here we are. And then also another shocker, Baylor. I didn't think Baylor would even come close to beating um, Oklahoma, but they did, and they were pretty impressive. I, I didn't watch the whole game, but I watched bits and pieces of it. And I watched they, the part they where they weren't impressive. impressive. So I think we watched yeah, yeah. opposite times of the game, but yeah. Yeah, I watched the beginning where their offense couldn't miss anything. But yeah, obviously the second half was a little different, but I think uh, I think Baylor will win this just because uh, I think their offense is if they can get clicking like they were in the beginning mm-hmm. of the of that game, I think they could they could beat a lot of teams, um, especially Texas. So yeah, little disappointed in uh, Tom Herman over at Texas. I really was a believer yeah. in him when he was at Ohio State and was in the Tom Herman to Georgia uh, train at, at one point. So it's it's disappointing to see him have the lack of success that he's had, especially after beating us in the Sugar Bowl, I felt like we could legitimize that loss after that same team would go on to make the playoff this year or something. But they've been awful as of late. And I actually was going to pick them again, um, like I keep doing to my own demise. But I saw their top receivers out this week, and so I felt like that was enough to pick Baylor at home. So to my cousins in Waco listening, go Bears. Going with Baylor, see if it pays off. I've picked against them too many times, and they have won a lot of close games. So that brings us to our extra point, number twenty-four, Texas A&M at number four, Georgia. Caleb, 
let's give our scores and then we'll break this one down. All right. On the count of three. Yep. Three, two, one, 24 to 13. 13. Ooh, a little low scoring, low scoring match 13. there for you. Yeah. I always, I'm going pretty low scoring on Georgia these days, uh, the way they've been handling things. Yeah. So, yeah. 24 13 was my pick. Caleb said 35 17. Caleb, let's preview AM for our listeners here, real quick. What, what you know about them? Yeah, um, Kellen Mond's really starting to come into his own. At the beginning of the season, he was thought to be a pretty solid quarterback that could do a lot of things with his legs um, and had a pretty good arm. Looks like he's got the highest quarterback rating of his career this year. He's gotten it done on the ground as, as well. Yeah. Um, their offense looks really good. Not too worried about their defense, um, just judging by what's going on lately. But their offense is a, it's a little worry, worrisome um, for me just looking at just by watching some of the games they play, they if we catch them on a good game, they can be kind of a scary team. But at the same time, our defense has proven to be one of the better defenses in the country. So Yeah, the more I look at this Texas A&M offense and the teams Georgia's played this year, the more I think this, this may be the most talented and most balanced offense Georgia will play in the regular season. Um, in my opinion, they're a poor man's LSU and – this matchup's going to give us a better feel of how our defense plays against a balanced yet aggressive offensive attack. you got a upperclassman quarterback who's playing the best ball of his career, at least statistically. And uh, Isaiah Spiller, the freshman running back, has been tearing it up lately. He's had 346 yards in AM's last two games, while the backup for Darian Richardson, he also rushed for 130 yards last week. And then they've got an experienced and talented receiving group. So offensively, if you look at the teams Georgia's played, Auburn has been pretty well-known for struggling on offense. Florida's thought of as more of a defensive team. I think Notre Dame might be the best offense we've played thus far, and I'm not entirely sure how great their offense is. So this might be the best offense this defense has seen. It'll be fun to see them tested against good players across the field. Hopefully we're able to enjoy the emotional win that was Auburn and still move forward and in, in focus on an A&M team that is looking for their chance to just kind of put themselves on the map this season, um, establish themselves as a contender for, for next season and for the years to come under Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, yeah. I, I expect this game to be um, really establishing ball control um, controlling the time we get um, get with the ball, kind of keeping the offense off the field. I think this game um, will be a big test for us and, and could possibly be a trap game looking into it. But I, I think I think it's time for offense to start showing the run game um, that we have and start really um, controlling the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for a lot of things on offense. I think there's a lot of questions still. Um, just consistency, showing that the offensive line can handle uh, a game after a big game. So just uh, just showing some consistency and and staying motivated after a big win to get ready for the SEC championship. Yeah, I agree, and I'm like you. I want to see us evolve offensively like we need to to be able to outscore LSU in a game where they likely will score some points. And so it is worth noting that held this A&M team to 20 points and Clemson held them 
210. So as far as kind of getting a feel for where our defense stacks up with, with some of the other premier defenses in the league, this should uh, be a real test. You know, can we can we hold them in that range? And offensively, can we uh, start putting some more points on the board to, to get prepared for an LSU game where they have a, a liable defense um, and a very powerful offense. Anyway, Caleb, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this one on Saturday and uh, hope to see the dogs as prepared as they were for Auburn and as prepared as they were for Florida because I don't think A&M is a slouch of an opponent. But to our listeners, we appreciate you tuning in this week. We will be back next week for Georgia Tech Hate Week and, of course, the following week for the SEC Championship. It feels good to say that, man. How about them dogs? Let's get it on Saturday. If you're at the stadium, let's be loud. Go dogs. Go dogs.